This is the greatest hour to follow Jesus. Okay, take your Bibles to Matthew 16. Today I'm going to be continuing this journey into the blood of Jesus. I want you to mark verse 24. I'll teach the scriptures today. The Lord has complete liberty to do what he wants. May he touch you and heal you even while I'm teaching. May he set you on fire. May the power of the Holy Spirit come upon you while I'm teaching. When I'm through teaching, we'll all uh, receive communion as a family. You will come up actually with your family, whoever you've come with. If you're alone, you'll come up receive the communion elements at the altar, take them back to your seat, I should say. You'll get them at the altar, receive them at your seat, praying as a family. I think it's beautiful to come up and actually get the communion elements at the altar because it prepares your heart on the way up, and I think it's a beautiful journey as a church family. And while, while you're actually approaching to receive the communion elements, I want to encourage you to enter into that posture of worship, even while you're standing in the aisles. Like, understand the, the, the glory of the moment and the beauty of the moment, the purity of the moment, the transforming power that, is, that rests in communion. Uh, and I want you to receive it that way because how we approach the promises of God or the covenant meal of God has a, uh, plays a massive role in the effect of that covenant meal. Amen? Amen? All right, so today we're going to talk about the blood even more. And um, it is impossible to talk about the blood of Jesus and not talk about sacrifice. There is a dark agenda against the church trying to cripple clear discipleship teaching. Um, there's a reason there's a cross on this platform. It's because the cross is powerful. And we need to allow the scriptures to determine Christianity. As the hour becomes later and later, uh, you're going to see the revealing of the tares who claim to be wheat. Is that making sense? And the tares are used to finding refuge in the harvest field, in the church. And As the hour of the Lord's return approaches, it will continue to become uh, more and more clear as to what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be an unbeliever. But the location of your physical body is not the litmus test. So what I mean by that is, is that you can be a tear while sitting in this building. That's what I'm trying to say. 
And you can claim this to be your home, but it's only your home if Christ has made his home in you. And the only way to know if he's made his home in you is whether or not his life is lived through you. Okay? Your view of Jesus will determine your view of Christianity. In fact, there is no Christianity outside of Christ Jesus. He is the faith. You take him out, <laughs> you've got nothing. And lordship is holy and it's being rejected now. Does that make sense? Lordship expressed through Calvary is the faith. And so there's a reason why for 2,000 years this cross, not this specific one, this is probably three years old, from Hobby Lobby. <laughs> okay? Probably right, Lily? That's where you went. Okay. From the look and feel of it, I'm like, this some a store like that. Okay. I'm not talking about this specific cross or this one. But the cross is the symbol and the power of our faith is Christ crucified. If Jesus is our mere replacement, which, which, by the way, he is our representative who has taken our place. But if he's only that, he's no longer our example. If Jesus only exists to wipe your sin away, to relieve you of future punishment, if that's all he is to you, you do not live the Christian life. There were wayward priests cheating on their wives, endorsing divorce while slaughtering the animals so that there would be a covering found in the blood of the animals while they continued to live in mixture. So everybody loves the Jesus who takes the sin away. Few want to be delivered from it. Well, actually, I didn't say that properly. Not enough want to be delivered from it. And so the push is to redefine the faith that was handed down once and for all. There is a reason, listen carefully, a holy reason that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he kept his wounds. There's a reason for that. And which wounds did he keep? 
the wounds of his suffering and passion. It is a reminder to us that glory will forever be locked up in the cruciform son. That if you want glory, you must come to die. This is the faith. This is not morbid because it is the only way to be truly alive. Discipleship is not a bad thing. It is the faith. And discipleship requires discipline. Being pastored requires pliability, acceptance, encouragement, and correction. In fact, the word of God is meant to rebuke, exhort, and correct. So there's a lot at stake today. And what is at stake is very simply, what does it mean to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? When when the church started teaching that the cross was the front door, we hit a slippery slope straight to Sheol. Sheol is another word for hell. (laughs) In case you didn't know, like, Sheol, I've never been there. Uh, That's another word for the underworld, and you don't want to go there. But why why the cross? What, What is it about the cross that is so powerful and inviting? What is it about the cross that you can find healing in its shadow? That there is a balm in Gilead that that flows from the atonement of Jesus? What is it about the cross that causes only the faithful to remain near it? What is it about the tree that the one who put his head on the Lord's chest, what was it about the tree that was so inviting and endearing? What was it about the woman who's healed of her immorality, yet she doesn't run from Jesus, but runs to him when he's suffering on the cross? What is it about the cross that when St. Patrick takes the gospel to Ireland and plants the cross into the soil, that demonic powers react? The cross is the place of forgiveness, but the cross is the place of example and invitation. The cruciform life is the life of the believer. And I want to say this loud and clear. Christianity is not us getting to do whatever we want to do and however we want to do it with our life. It is not. And, and, and maybe, maybe you think that's what the faith is. But if I systematically journey you through the text and you still refuse, I'm not speaking to an individual, I'm speaking uh, to culture right now, to the church at large. If you still refuse to adapt to the scriptures, then you've created your own form of the faith. 
So it's impossible, listen, it's impossible to talk about the power of the blood because we all want to say and plead the blood. And we should, we should plead the blood because Revelation 12 connects the blood and the word of our testimony. There must be a testimony of the blood. I plead the blood over my family twice a day. And since I got in the ministry, I plead the blood over me 25 times a day. <laughs> and my family. But you cannot discuss the blood without discussing death. You don't think they drew blood like we do at the hospital when a lamb came to the altar, do you? You think the owner of the lamb said, take out just enough to wash my sin away, but I don't want the lamb to die. It's not the way it works. You don't get a pint of blood from a lamb and then tell the lamb to go on and give him a cookie or a falafel. That's not how it works. You only get blood from the animal that comes to die. In other words, you only get the benefit when the animal gives its entire being as an offering to the Lord. This is the faith. So, we must connect the power of the blood in our lives to Jesus' version of discipleship. Jesus' version, not ours. Because like, you don't, you don't get to create your own version of discipleship. It's been done. It's been handed down once and for all. We don't have the right to uh, redefine it. You, I mean, you could. You can do it. You actually do have the right. But you can't call it Christian discipleship because the Lord will never remove your will. So when it comes to Jesus and living under the shadow of the cross and the blood, look at Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, who knows what anyone means in the Greek? It means anyone. That means if you're Gen Z, this is for you. If you're a millennial, this is for you. If you're, what's the next one, X? I don't know. What is it, Amy? Alpha? Whatever, whatever you do. Hold on. I want to I I camp here for a minute. Whatever you do. If you're a preacher, this is for you. If you're a musician, this is for you. If you're a businessman, this is for you. If you're a PK, this is for you. If you're an evangelist and a missionary, this is for you. If you think you're an apostle, it's definitely for you. <laughs> anyone means anyone. And Jesus is saying here, if anybody wants to come after me and wants to be my follower, this is what it looks like. These are the rules. And, and, and I, I want to declare boldly here that Jesus can make rules. He's God. If anyone desires to come after me, that's called Christianity, let him deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. Oh, if we want to talk about the amount of doors, well, let's talk about the doors. Let's just say there's two front doors to, to following Jesus. One is you deny you, and two is once you get through, you carry a tree, which kills you. You mean Jesus is after my dreams? I absolutely mean that, unless they're from him. That's exactly what I'm saying. You mean Jesus is after my self-constructed plans for my life? Yes. That's what I mean. If you're, if you're in anyone, that's exactly what I mean. And by the way, who wants to have to fund, steward, protect, and sustain their own dreams? Who wants such a responsibility? I tried it. Don't all of us want the grace of God to carry it? Then let him birth it. Is this, is this, is this registering? But the thought that I claim, claim the washing capability of the blood without realizing that the blood only flows from that which died is a pretty warped view of what it means to have a Lord who is God of all. You say, what about my joy? That's where I'm trying to take you. Because you're going to find that joy is connected to the cross. He endured, listen carefully, the Bible says he endured the cross with joy. You say, well, that makes no sense to me. It's not supposed to. That's the mystery of the gospel. The happiest people are the ones who give themselves away the most. And whenever you're discovering truth, you look at the scriptures, number one, and number two, you listen to the voice of the Lord in the scriptures that says wisdom is found in its children. In other words, you look at the full breadth of someone's life that has been entrusted for decades and decades and decades and lives a pure and holy life and you ask, what do you do? Teach me. That's how you determine how you should live. You Look at the scriptures, you look at church history, you look at what's worked through the ages, you look at what the church has embraced and what the church has rejected, and then you have to ask yourself this question. Am I, in my own individual little brain, wise enough to uproot all of that to fit the lifestyle and the lifestyle choices that I want for me? It's a lofty claim. It's a lofty claim to one day in heaven stand before the martyrs who were beheaded and say, I was right, you were wrong. And there's a reason, listen carefully, there is a reason why the martyrs get a front row seat of the throne in the age to come. They are literally under the altar of God. There's a reason why God listens to their prayer. Avenge our death. When will you avenge it? There's a reason they died. You getting it? Now, all of us aren't called to such a physical death. Whatever. If some are, what an honor. 
But the point is this, that the, the Christian life is the life of laying itself down. And you will see this rhythm theologically through the life of Jesus. How many of you know, practically, the manger was a downgrade? Half of you awake? How many of you would think that if you read Isaiah's account of the throne room or Ezekiel's or Daniel's and then you look at a manger, how many of you would think Jesus gave something up to be in that manger? Ah, that's godliness. Why would the one who created the worlds have to run for his life to Egypt? Lowliness, humility. Do you know Jesus had to learn obedience through his suffering? Are you getting this? God the Son, the scripture says, learned obedience through the suffering of the cross. You say, what about the power stuff? This is where it's at. I'm grateful for parents who told me what to do. I'm grateful for parents that were in a home that you didn't get a vote in. Michael, clean, wash, uh, wash the dishes. Can we have a family vote? There was no vote. So wash the dishes. I don't want to do it. Good, that makes me, now you have to wash double. Get it all out of you. No, no, really, really. The Christian takes instruction. They take correction. Even, it comes, even if it comes through a filter that's not perfect, the Christian is wise enough to grab the, the, the abrasive edges of the cross and say, scrub me out, Lord. That's what we do. It's who we are. And so Jesus says here, let him deny himself. And once he has, you get to put a cross on your shoulder and follow me. That implies, doesn't imply, it clearly says that if you want to follow Jesus, you have to carry a cross. You don't get to take it at salvation, lay it back down, choose your own will, and think you get to be part of his procession. He chooses the uniform for his procession because he is the God who lays his life down. Is this making sense? The most depressed, angry, Empty people are the most selfish. Think, think through your Rolodex of relationships. Some are like, <laughs> you've got the ones and twos right now have flashing lights on them. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. Call so-and-so for me after service, pastor. Tell them they're selfish. No, I'm not going to do that. But the most unhealthy, unpleasant Empty, listen, spiritually dead people are the ones who are most alive in self. Is this landing? Satanic heart posture is this. I will ascend the hill of the north. I, me, me, I will be like the most high. 
And if you tell me it's wrong, I'm going to reject you. We need more pastors who, when they see demonic thoughts and demonic agendas finding their way into the culture of a house, we need more pastors who come swiftly in love, but clearly and say, this is not the path of life. Because if you exalt you according to the words of Jesus, if you exalt you, you will be brought low. And so it plays out into the entirety of his life. It plays out into his teachings. He says, if you walk into a feast or a place, choose the worst seat so that you will be promoted. But if you choose the best seat and somebody demotes you, you will feel the shame of that. It's the nature of Jesus, right? Oh, we need it. I said, oh, we need it. Do not trust anyone spiritually to lead and guide you if they are afraid to correct you. And I'm not correcting any of y'all right now. Just, just so you know, I'm not doing that. But this, dude, we've got to get this. Discipleship is married to lordship. And there's an assault against the lordship of Jesus right now expressed through covenant family. We all want Jesus as Lord. We just don't want anybody around us to tell us we might be wrong. <laughs> we want the Lord to appear to us and go, hey, don't do that next time. They're reading too many comic books. Whatever y'all watch, I don't know. I want you to look at the pattern of God or the economy of God here. Is this okay? I want you, and you can say, why are you talking like this? Because God has joy on the other side of it. In fact, it's not even on the other side. It's married to it in the process. There is a joy unspeakable. In other words, you can't put words to it. Why is it when I sacrifice the most, I am filled with happiness? It's not just on the other side. It's part of the journey. That's the mystery of the faith. Of the faith. That's what confounds the world. How can someone being persecuted be so happy? How can Heidi laugh all the time? It makes no sense. It's con it confounds the wise. Well, you should be really sad, lady. You left Laguna Beach for Mozambique. And you spend most of your days in the jungle and you show up to preach and you're happy. That's illegal. Unless, unless there's joy in the cross. Psalm 104. I want you to look at, look at the progression here. Psalm 104, verse 29. You ready? You hide your face and they are troubled. Listen carefully now. You take away their breath. They die. Who's doing this? Say God. You take away their breath. They die and return to their dust. Verse 30. You send forth your spirit and they are created. What comes first? What comes first? You die and go into the dust, and what happens? You catch the wind of God. 
You come alive. The psalmist understood that in the presence. When I don't know, when I don't feel like being in this tent, when I don't feel like playing my harp, when I don't feel like singing, I die to that emotion. And I let you determine what type of song you want. And if I don't give you what you want, I'm humble enough to receive the correction. And when I die to that, something happens. You breathe on my death and I'm created. See, we think, we think that we arise first. No, it's not the way it works. Not in the economy of God. He's crucified before the foundations of the world. There is a lamb on the throne for a reason because God glorifies the lamb who died. Ah. So everyone you read about in revival culture taught exactly what I'm saying right now. Do your homework, but forget about revival culture. Let's just look at the, at the patriarchs of the Bible. Let's look at it. How far back do you want to go? We can start with Adam, who could not have a wife unless he lay lifeless in the hands of God. Who was alone the entire time until he entrusted the Lord. It's a prefiguring, a shadowing, a foreshadowing of Jesus who would die, whose side would be open to birth the bride. No death, no bride. And what does Paul tell us to do as we express our love for our wives' husbands? What, 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 what typology does he actually use? Love her how? By laying your life down for her. Oh, that means love is expressed through death to self. <laughs> you want to talk about Noah? The poor guy had to build a yacht before it ever rained. They didn't even know what the word meant. It's going to rain. What's that? Build the boat. Why? There's this stuff called rain. It comes out of the sky. Really? We've never seen that before. Do it anyways. You don't think he died to himself? You don't think he's rejected and mocked and hated? Go try building a boat the size of a few football fields and see if everyone's going to applaud you and encourage you. Noah, huh? Yes or no? You better believe it. What about Abraham? You don't think Abraham died a death when he offered Isaac? Well, I just thought this thing was just about me. No, it's absolutely not. You mean I die? That's, that's what I mean. But I'd still be happy? More happy than you could ever dream. And then God will raise me again? Yeah. And then what will he do with me? Ask you to die again. How often? Every single day. That's the faith. You don't think Abraham died a death when he lifted that knife, that dagger above the body of the promised son? You better believe he did. What about Jacob? You think Jacob died a death working for Laban? Yes or no? You think Jacob died a death wrestling with the Lord all night? And what was the Lord's goal? 
to turn his legs into bionic uh, sprinter's legs or to give him a limp. So he died a death in the wrestling match only to receive the mark of death in the limp so that he would not glory in his own strength but make room for resurrection power through his own weakness. That's the faith. What about Moses? You think Moses died a death when he had to go back into Egypt and face the one person who scared him the most? A stutterer was called to deliver three million people from the greatest superpower in the world. Wow. You think Isaiah died a death when he was sawn in two? What about Jeremiah, who writes the book of Lamentations from a cistern sewer and is mocked and persecuted his entire ministry? Yet today he's in the glory of God. This isn't to depress you. It's to invite you and truly awaken you. Awaken you God's way. What about David? Think David died a few deaths? Running from Saul? Having the opportunity to t- twice to take out the man who caused him to live in caves. And what did he choose? Not to touch the anointed of the Lord above his own short-term deliverance. Oh, the church needs that today. How we turn on our own and don't carry the fear of the Lord because we've forgotten there's a judgment ahead. There's a real judgment. May it return to our charismatic teaching again. There is a judgment to come where every idle word will be exposed, where every conversation at every coffee shop, on every phone call, guised and disguised in so-called spiritual advice, but it's undergirded with division and darkness. Every conversation will be exposed and brought into the light and David knew it'd be better that David die and glory in the resurrection than him take out the one that the anointing rested on. He did it God's way. And what did God do? What did God do for David? Made an eternal covenant with him. And said, somebody from your lineage will sit on this throne eternally and Jesus himself shows up and has no problem being called son of David. God's ways are not the easiest ways, but they are the safest ways. They are the most beautiful ways. We need maturity in the church. We need people who know their Bible. And as Spurgeon said, sir, if you have no Christ in your sermon, go home and don't come back until you have something worth saying. What would happen if every Christian just read their Bible through the lens of Christ crucified? It would squash retaliation because we'd see glory in wounds. And you'd be like Joseph, by the way. Who do you think he died a death in that prison? 
He's the dreamer who's now locked in chains. And what did he have to die to? The dream. <laughs> what do you think had to happen? And what happens when you even die to a position God gives you? He builds the character in you that's needed to eventually carry it. That's the point. Do you get it? Do you get that God wants you to love him more than what he gives you? There he is with, with, with true betrayers. The assistant of Pharaoh and the baker. True criminals. And here he is, an innocent man. And what happens when his brothers finally come and they think he's going to kill them when his father dies? What does he say? It needed to happen to me. Nothing will happen to you. This was the work of God. Do you think Joseph was like that when he was 18? No. He died a death that got all the self-defense out of him. All the desire to, of retribution, it, got, it came out in that prison. Oh, he died a death. But he said at Pharaoh's right hand. You missed that. Give me five more minutes. You missed, it. You missed that one. He died a death, but he was elevated to Pharaoh's right hand and received Pharaoh's ring. It's a picture of Jesus dying, betrayed by his brothers, coat of many colors, going into the pit, coming out in victory. Joseph's brothers recognize him on the second visit. Israel will recognize Jesus on, the, on his second visit. He receives Pharaoh's ring, meaning authority, sits at his right hand, just like Jesus. Take the Jesus way. The real Jesus way is not a blind way. Jesus is not blind. Let him prepare you for the age to come. I'll go on and on. On and on. How about Enoch? It's a pretty cool calling. You walk around with God all day long and then you just get zapped up. He didn't even die. But read the scriptures. It's not like the earth was just sin-free when Enoch was walking with God. Enoch paid a price to walk with God in the days of evil. What was God's response? I'm marrying you now. Get up here. Good. Praise God. Finally. And back to Noah. Forget about the boat. In what setting did he build the boat in and choose? And the Bible says of Noah in Genesis that he walked with God. In what type of setting? I'll tell you. When angels were sleeping with women. That's what the Bible says. So evil were the days of Noah that Noah said, I'm not going that route. So evil were the days of Noah that Jesus said, before he comes back, it will be like the... It's just who we are. It's who we are because it's who he is. We don't get to choose our own life and call ourselves followers of Jesus. But I want to tell you something. Help me there, Ludi, will you? I want to tell you something. There is such glory, such life, such vibrancy, such sense of purpose, such beauty, such peace when 
the storms of life come your way, there's peace. There's a sense of confidence knowing that what he raises, what he raises, he sustains. What he calls, he funds. What he births, he nurtures. There's peace there, but there's such stress and, oh, the desire to protect all that you birth with nobody moving. It's, it's, a, it's a taxing existence to not die. You say, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Be more specific. I mean this. You take all you are, all you want, all you want to do and all you want to be, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you offer it to the Lord Jesus and you let him nail it to the cross, trusting him to raise you up in his own image so that you can experience true heavenly joy and peace. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Paul said uh, as an apostle that he was, he died daily. Again, he says this, daily I put my body under subjection. Wait, wait Michael, do you, are you telling me that I don't get to do whatever I want to do with my body and call myself a disciple of Jesus. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Paul said, I die daily. I put my body under subjection. And then he goes on to say this, lest by any means I myself, the servant of the Lord, be a castaway. And what would happen? What would happen every time Paul yielded his will, yielded his right to his opinion, yielded his right to be correct in his own mind according to his own terms. What would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. Exactly what Jesus says happens. You ready for this? He who holds on to his life, he who keeps his life will lose it. But he who loses his life, loses that will, loses the ownership in the moment and forever, he who loses his life for my sake, will gain it. And this is life in the Spirit. This is the Christian life. Every time I allow the cross to do its work in me, every time I'm open to the possibility that I might be right, wrong and Jesus is right, I am invited into the wind of God because that death comes and according to the book of Psalms, He breathes, life comes, and I am created. This is the faith. Death, listen to my words. Close your eyes, everybody. Death, burial, and resurrection. Unto death, burial, and resurrection. And death, burial, and resurrection. And death, burial, and resurrection. And it's over and over and over and over and over and over again until one day you will meet the Lord. And when you see him, you shall be like him and you will get a new body and forever you will be with the Lord. That's the Christian life. To get daily teaching from Michael and to follow our event schedule around the world, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Image TV YouTube channel as well. 
By partnering with Jesus Image, you will help us take the saving and healing power of Jesus to the world. Your giving changes lives forever. For more information, please visit us online at JesusImage.tv or write us at Jesus Image, P.O. Box 950-640, Lake Mary, Florida, 32795. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus is the answer for every life, everywhere.